seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let us pray. Our Father, we have come once again before your word, and we ask for your help in the preaching and the listening of your word this evening. Grant that your Holy Spirit will provide illumination to both the preacher and to those of us who are listening physically and even online. May we know of your working amongst us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. The blessedness of inward purity. If, you, if you're looking for a title for this sermon, the blessedness of inward purity. One of the ways to make progress in the Christian life is by latching on to promises. One of the ways, biblically speaking, that we can grow as Christians in our sanctification is by holding on or keeping before our faces promised rewards. That is, one of the purposes of rewards that God talks about, the promises he presents in his word, is that they fuel our obedience. Reward, promised reward, is meant to spur us on to greater obedience. It is meant to push us to aim for more. It is meant to help us fight more, love more, do more, obey God more. And perhaps we see this clearly for those of us who follow football. So yesterday was the return of the English Premier League. And so you have 20 teams fighting for one thing. They are fighting that at the end of May 2024, one team would have gathered more points than the others. It is that, you know, that makes people buy, spend foolishly. Sometimes you spend so much money and you think this player will bring something out and the guy is just a waste. You buy rice, you buy white rice, you buy different kinds of things and they are just flops. But the reason why they do all of those things, the reason why they work so hard at training, the reason why they put so much effort is there's a reward at the end of the season. Similarly, rewards in the Bible are meant to spur us on, make us more zealous. And I think this is true of all of the Beatitudes. If you have noticed, the Beatitudes have two parts. Each Beatitude has a duty and a reward. And the reason why those rewards are there is to make us more zealous in keeping the duty. And I'll give us a practical example of what I'm talking about. With this beatitude we're considering tonight, the sixth beatitude. Kevin DeYoung, who is an American pastor and author, tells a story in his book called, the title of the book is The Whole in Our Holiness. Great book on sanctification 
awesome book if you can lay your hands on it please read it and it tells the story of um one time when he lived in a particular neighborhood now in that neighborhood there was a house he was always passing on his way to work so he would always pass that house drive by that house on his way to work he never knew the people who stayed there he never saw anybody's face but once in a while during summer a woman would dress in a bathing suit and be washing the car outside once every summer yearly because the weather is a bit hotter a woman will come not just in a bathing suit but in an immodest bathing suit and she will come and she'll be taking her bath not, not taking her bath sorry watching the car giving the car a bath and being a man he confessed to being tempted every single time to look every single time take a look take a look but he said what kept him going fighting that temptation was a promise we are going to see in this sixth beatitude and he said i want to see god i want to know god seeing god is way more better than a three second glance i will pursue a pure heart so that i will see god on an ongoing basis and my desire this evening is to show us that that promise of seeing god is worth our pursuing a pure heart on a daily basis in our lives that that reward that you will see god is worth the first part of the beatitude pursuing a pure heart and i'll do it this evening by considering with us the first part then the second part and I'll bring uh, some application by way of question. So, the first part of the statement says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus pronounces a blessing on those who are pure in heart. He says, these are the ones who are approved by God. These are the ones who are fortunate. These are the ones who are to be envied. And these are the ones who are truly happy. But then there is a the problem. What does Jesus mean by heart? In our language today, when we speak of the heart, we usually speak about emotion. So, I hurt you, I was heartbroken, uh, my heart is strong, you have soft heart, you have this heart, and usually we're talking about the center of our feelings and the center of our emotions. Now, I'm not going to come up and say, don't ever use heart in that way. It's how we speak in the 21st century, it's okay. But biblically speaking, the heart of a person is more than just where they feel from. Biblically speaking, in the mind of the Jews and in the mind of the New Testament writers, the heart is not just comprised of our emotions, it's comprised of three things, really. The heart is comprised of the mind, which is the seat of our thinking and our understanding. The heart is comprised of our emotions, the seat of our affections. That is how we feel towards something, how we feel about something. And the heart is also comprised of the will, which is the seat of our decision making. So the heart really is the center of a man. It is from the heart of a person that he thinks, she thinks, she feels, she desires, she makes decisions. The heart of a person is the source of all they do. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 15 verse 18, he says, what comes out from the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. Because out of the heart comes forth evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander from the heart. That is the center. 
the source of everything we do is a heart. This, so, in a sense, then our heart is who we truly are. Not even necessarily what we do. The heart of a person is who that person truly is. And our heart is where the problem of the world lies. Why is there a war, or why are we fighting a war against Niger? It's a heart. It's a heart. You see, sometimes we lose sight of this fact. And we think that laws are enough to make a society sane. Laws can go so far. So long as the heart of people are defiled and impure and wicked, that's the source of all of our problems. So the solution of our problems in this world, ultimate solution, is not necessarily a change of constitution. It is a change of heart. The heart is where the problem is from. So the heart is the source of everything that comes out of us. It's our center. It's who we truly are. And Jesus says that blessed are those who are pure in heart. What does he mean by this? I believe that this, is, this purity that Jesus speaks about is, twofold, is two-sided. Now, many commentators try to emphasize one part of this purity and not the other. So I'll explain as we explore the two sides of this purity. And the reason why they do that, I don't know why they do that, but I think they are trying to go more than the scripture is saying. Purity, as defined by the word that is recorded for us in Matthew's gospel, is twofold. In the first place, purity of heart speaks to holiness of heart. That is an inward holiness. That is to have a clean heart, a heart that is pure. A pure heart is a clean heart, a holy heart that is clean. And Jesus is, of course, saying this in... Uh, you know, Jesus was talking in the time of the Pharisees who emphasized a lot of outward cleanliness. So one time, the disciples of Jesus were eating. I know their issue that they did not wash their hands to the elbow. What the Pharisees were emphasizing was physical, outward cleanliness. And when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's talking about inward purity. That is purity that comes from the inside. So the person who is pure in heart is clean from the inside. He has clean thoughts, clean affections, clean desires. That's the first part. But many commentators don't like talking about this, and I don't know why. But this is the first part. Cleanliness is part of what Jesus means by purity of heart. But added to that, when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's talking about singleness of heart. A person with a pure heart has an unmixed heart. Now, I'm going to use the illustration of gold. When we say something is 100% gold, what do we mean? We do not mean that it is clean gold. We mean that, is, that it is unalloyed gold. That is, if you take that gold, there will be no iron, there will be no zinc. It will, be, it will have been cleansed of every impurity. So that thing is 100% gold. A pure heart is a heart that is 100% devoted to God. It is a heart that is not shifting from, from God to mammon, from this to this. You know, Jesus really said this, right? That a man cannot serve God and mammon. An impure heart is the kind of heart that says, I will serve God on Monday morning, but on Tuesday morning, I will serve mammon. A pure heart will say, no, I must serve God. My, my loyalty is undivided. To have a pure heart in this sense is to be utterly sincere. That is, a person can come before God and say, God, this is all I am, and that is really all I am. 
There's no hidden motive. There's no hypocrisy coming before God and saying, God, this is who I am, but in my inside, that's not who I am. Or presenting myself to people and saying, this is who I am, but on the inside, that's not who I am. It is to be of a single mind. And one illustration from church history is the story of St. Augustine. Some of us know his story. St. Augustine, as an unbeliever, struggled with sexual purity. So he was entangled in several sexual sins. And his mother would pray for him. They would pray for him. And at some point, the guy began to struggle between sin and God. And he was having that struggle in his soul. And one day he made a prayer. He says, oh God, make me chaste. Make me holy. But not yet. That's a man with an impure heart. His loyalty is divided. Lord, make me holy. Eh, but wait small. Maybe let me finish this business I'm doing that I know is a wicked deal. And then make me holy. Oh, God, I don't want to sin again. But ah, let me finish this series first. I know this thing I'm doing is bad. But let me hold on to the end of the month. Then I will have small money from it. And then, Lord, I will stop. That's an impure heart. A pure heart says, I'm going all in. Lord, make me chaste and make me chaste now. Lord, do this from, do this in me and do it now. This is what James is talking about in James chapter 4, verse 8, where he says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. To be pure in heart, two things. To have cleanliness on the inside. To be holy on the inside. And then to have a singular focus of our heart, undivided loyalty. In light of this, we must ask the question then, can anybody have a pure heart? If we are saying that our hearts must be 100% devoted to God and loyal to God, <laughs> there's a problem because we know, biblically speaking, that our hearts are not 100% devoted to God. It's in the Bible, Romans chapter 7. And many passages, if we say we are without sin, we are liars, we make God a liar, there's no truth in us, we know that we are not 100% devoted to God. So can a man have a pure heart? Well, then we have to define this purity properly. Because there are multiple types of purity. There's a kind of purity that is divine, which is only found in God. Exodus chapter 15 tells us that who is like thee, O Lord, you are glorious in holiness. The ESV puts it as you are majestic in holiness. That there is no guile in you. He is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity, Habakkuk tells us. So there is no variableness. There is no changing in God. God is single. If God wills something, God is, God is the same. He's not shifting like us. He doesn't have divided loyalties. There's no girl in him. He's 100%. If we are talking about that kind of purity, then we cannot have it. But there's also an evangelical purity. And I'm going to draw attention or take us back to a Bible study we had two weeks ago about our good works. That our good works are accepted by God even though they are not 100% good. That our good works, even though they are filled with impurity, God accepts them in Christ. The kind of purity we are talking about is gold. Yes, proper gold, but mixed with some iron. And God calls this purity in a gospel sense. Now, we must be careful to take this as an excuse. Okay, well, if God says we cannot be 100% pure like him, 
Then why do I bother? Well, Paul tells you in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, tells us that we must cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So it's not an excuse. The man who is pure in heart will constantly seek to see that there is 100% in his heart, in her heart. Why knowing, of course, that even our 100%, remember how we said it? We said the best of our good works are yet tainted with sin. The marker here for us when we talk about evangelical purity is that it is inward. We are not hypocrites. We are utterly sincere before God. And we tell God, Lord, you know that I love you. Even if I may struggle with A, B, C, D. That's the mark of a pure heart. When we sin, we don't hide it. We come before God and say, Lord, you, you know me. This is who I am. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. That's the mark of a pure heart. And in pure heart, of course, we give excuses. And give excuses and give excuses. And one of the excuses of an impure heart, of course, is that uh, we are not perfect. We'll be perfect in heaven. A pure heart doesn't make those excuses. A pure heart pursues purity to fall. So that's the first part of the text. The second part Jesus tells us is that these people who are pure in heart, they shall see God. And this is the reward for purity of heart. Not what Jesus is saying. That it is only those who are, of, who are pure of heart that will, see, that will see God. In other words, there is no body that will see God who is not pure of heart. Now, it is easy to come and say, the purity we are talking about is justification by faith. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. Jesus is talking about lived out purity. So in the Sermon on the Mount, when we see righteousness, we know Jesus is talking about lived out righteousness day to day. And when Jesus talks about purity in this text, he's talking about lived out purity. So that's why David could say that who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. It is why the writer of Hebrews says that we should strive for holiness without which no man can see God. So it is only those who are pure in heart that will have any hope of seeing God. Regardless of what we say about, oh, we gave our lives to Christ in 2010. If there is no purity of heart, by way of holiness and undivided loyalty to God, then we should forget about seeing God. If the first part is not true, then the second part cannot be true. The only people who will see God are those who are inwardly pure, utterly sincere, who are focused, who are steadfast. Like the psalmist said, my heart is steadfast, O Lord. My heart is steadfast, fixed upon you. And when, we talk, when Jesus talks about seeing God, seeing God has to do, has this idea of being in the presence of God. To see God is to be in God's presence. And of course, we know that everybody will see God eventually. Revelation tells us on Judgment Day. But it's not just to see, to be in his presence, but to know him deeply. To know him with a certain kind of intimacy. To, to, to be before God without a mediator. Right? When we go to the office of somebody we want to see, maybe a big man, and then we sit in the reception, what do we say? I want to see Oga. I want to see Oga. And supposing the receptionist says, Sorry, Oga is not around. Let me take this. He said, No. Oga said I should come today. 
I want to see Oga. And if I don't see Oga, I have not seen Oga. I need to see his face. I need to speak with him. To see God has to do with that level of intimacy, that level of, 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 of mediation between us and God. And of course we know that this is the hope of every Christian ultimately. Our hope ultimately is to see God. John talks about this in 1 John chapter 3 from verse 1 to 3. And Job talks about this in Job 19 where he says, After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh shall I see God. This is called the beatific vision or the beatific vision. The beautiful vision. That a time will come when we would have an immediate, direct vision of God. You know, we're, we're looking at 1 John chapter 4 uh, this morning where John says, no man has ever seen God. But the same John in 1 John chapter 3 says, a time is going to come where we will see him as he is. That's the hope of every Christian. Where we would have the highest blessings and fulfillment. Blessed are the pure in heart, not that they will see the gold of heaven. Yes, heaven is the pearly gates. We know that gold streets and people go to heaven and come back and they tell us so many things. But what makes heaven heaven is God. That we would have an immediate vision of God ultimately. And this is only for those who are utterly sincere. But there's also a part, there's also a now in this idea of seeing God. You see, when Kevin DeYoung, in the story I told us earlier, said he wanted to see God, he was talking about seeing God today. That is to enjoy a sweet relationship with God. See, impure hearts cannot have a sweet relationship with God. You know why? Because an impure heart will not love a pure God. An impure heart will not want to, do anything, will not want to have anything to do with a pure God. That's why Isaiah fell down and says, I am a man with unclean lips. That's who I am. When I behold this holy God and pure God, eh, my impurity cannot stand. I can't have a relationship with him. A pure, to see God for a pure man is to see him in his word. To read his word and really see him. Oh, there's Bible reading and there's Bible reading. Some of us know this practically. That there is a reading of the Bible which is just to tick. I have finished Genesis. And I know in my heart of hearts that reading through Genesis, I did not see God. It was just an exercise I marked to say that, okay, during my year reading, I read Genesis. To see God is to see him in prayer. That is the, the, the eyes of our hearts are opened to behold him, to enjoy him in prayer. It is also to see his hand in suffering, in difficulty, in hardship. To see God, it's only a pure man, a pure woman, those who have pure hearts that can experience this. But herein is the problem. Our hearts are not pure. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, our hearts are not pure. If we're going to just take an, just a kind of examination, which is the final part of this sermon, a kind of examination, and ask ourselves, now, the preacher cannot do this for you. The person who presents the sermon, who writes the book, cannot do this for you. You do it for yourself. Ask yourself, in the past week, if truly your heart has been undivided and totally loyal to God. 
Ask yourself. I think not times when we entertained certain thoughts and kept entertaining them. You know, oftentimes we don't see this as a big deal, right? So in church, you know the big sins. I don't commit adultery. I, I, I mean, I'm not committing a gross, <laughs> a, a gross iniquity. But then I can imagine adultery, and I sustain it, sustain it for even in minutes. And I'm like, and I stand up and say, ah, ah thank God we say it no happen no. But that's an impure heart. That's an impure heart. I can sustain covetousness and bitterness and hatred. But since I have not killed somebody, and since if you look at me, you can't really say I'm a sinner, I'm okay. But that's an impure heart. So I'll lead us to ask certain questions. Why do you struggle to keep your heart pure? You are a Christian. But why do you struggle? Why do I struggle? Why why do we struggle to keep our hearts pure? I think the first reason we've already alluded to it, and it is total depravity, and the fact that we still have an indwelling sinful nature. And oh, Paul talks about this battle, doesn't he, in Galatians chapter 5. The flesh fighting against the spirit, and the spirit fighting against the flesh. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7, our sinful nature fighting, fighting, fighting to have control. And this is the first reason. But another reason why I think we struggle is the influence of the world. We are being bombarded on a daily basis by the world. And we talked about worldliness. Although this is something we don't want to talk about a lot in church, a lot of us are really, really worldly. And we struggle with worldliness. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. The things that enter our eye. The things that we desire with our heart, inordinate desires. And of course, our pride in possessions. Another reason why I think we struggle to keep our hearts pure is our consumption. It's really what we consume. See, um, Bro Felix and some health guys will tell you, you are what you consume. What you eat is who you are. Spiritually, what we consume will determine the purity level of our hearts. It is interesting that we think that we can consume certain things, neglecting God's word, and we'll have a pure heart. We can consume entertainment to whatever level. That is, it's interesting when, as Christians, we don't think about what kind of entertainment and the amount of entertainment we consume. Because we think... As long as it's not pornography, I'm okay. As long as there's no clear violence, I'm okay. As long as there's no big sin being committed, I'm okay. I can sit in front of the television or the laptop or the mobile phone for a whole day. I'm okay. No matter. But the more we consume certain things, our consumption prevents us from having pure hearts. And of course, unconfessed sins. Friends, one of the reasons why we don't have pure hearts is we have favorite sins. Let's be honest. And this is not, remember I said the preacher cannot do this for you. I cannot do it for you. I'm even trusting God to do it for myself. One of the reasons we struggle with purity of hearts 
in our minds, in our emotions, in our will, is the fact that there are some sins we are not ready to let go. That there are some sins we, we say like Augustine, Lord, I want to be holy. And as we are praying that prayer, Lord, make me holy. Lord, make me holy. We're just thinking, Kai, but not, this, not in this aspect of my life. That there are areas in our life where we, we still want to just have some kind of control. Some sins we are not ready to let go of. And there are many reasons. Many reasons. Why we struggle with purity of heart. And I want us to go home and ask ourselves that question. Even beyond the sermon today. Why is it that I really struggle? Why is, on a daily basis I find that what comes out of me is nonsense? It's nonsense. I was on a, a, a thread... Do we still call it thread this day on the X app? And uh, one pastor was trying to address this issue of um, a young man or woman, I can't quite remember, struggling with a lot of sexual thoughts. That is the, the constant feeling to, to, to have sexual relations. And he hit the nail on the head when he said, the problem is really the fact that you are taking in something it's not coming from a, a void. There's something you are, there's a certain environment you put yourself in that, that makes those thoughts come out of you. You are constantly angry, constantly bitter. There's something going on, and I cannot do this for you. So, this is an exercise for us all that we should go and ask ourselves why is it that I'm angry? There are things that just pop out of my... Maybe in a moment of anger, I just say something to my husband or my wife or my child, and then I draw back and I... Ha, ha. A me, me, I can still say this. Yes, there's a problem there. And we ought to go home and ask ourselves what the problem is. I'm just speaking in terms of generalities. I can't go deep into our hearts. But how can we become purer of heart on a daily basis? I think the first thing, we've looked at it before in, in, in a previous beatitude. We must recognize our poverty. We must recognize bah, that this our sinful nature is more powerful than we think it is. I think sometimes we overestimate how powerful we are. I'm a man of God! I'm a man of God. I'm beyond this. Amy. I'm beyond this. You've heard it said before that me, money is not my problem. But women is my problem. I think sometimes eh, we've not seen certain amounts of money. Oh, everything is our problem. Really? Everything is our problem. A woman is not my problem. Oh, th th you've not seen. We overestimate our power, our control over our sinful nature. We must recognize that, see, on my own, I cannot keep my heart pure. On my own, I cannot sustain the kind of purity that God requires to see him. And I would run to Christ for cleansing. Both the unbeliever and the believer. I would run to Christ for help. I say, God help me. Christ help me. I see, I see this promise and I want to see you. But I, I try every day. And I am losing this battle. Help me. Run to the cross and fall before Christ. And ask him to help you. To save you. I try and try again. I listen to sermons. I do, I do everything. I have a checklist. I've read books. And this same thing is there. Run to Christ for help. In the second place, constant self-examination is how we get a pure heart. Constant self-examination. It's not something we do a lot today. 
but it's something we ought to do. Examining ourselves. That is where I sit down with myself and my Bible and with God and I examine myself. Lord, what is really going on inside of me? What's really going on inside my life? What's really going on? Hmm. A third way is daily cleansing. Friends, if we keep on trying to avoid gross sins, smaller sins will gather in our hearts the way dust gathers in our houses. If we keep trying to say, oh, let me give a, a good illustration. We want to clean this place now. The first thing we say is, where are the pieces of paper? Where is the plastic container? And then we clean that. Those are the obvious deaths. And we just sit down. There will be dust on this speaker. There will be dust under this pulpit. And that's how sin does. If we, if we just sit down and say, okay, I don't commit adultery. I'm not stealing anybody money. I'm not sexually... I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. What happens is that sin, dust will accumulate. That's why we need daily cleansing. We go before God, and I'm linking this to the previous one of self-examination. And we say, God, I'm aware even that there are sins that I'm not aware of. I'm aware that there are things in my heart at the moment I'm not aware of. I may be aware of my pride. I may be aware of my seeking to please people. I may be aware of, but there are things in my heart that I'm not aware of. In fact, I think it was John Owen writing in volume 6 that when it comes to multiplication of sin, you know the problem we do sometimes? We isolate one sin and say, my problem is lying. And then we fight lying. But he says that we will not succeed in fighting lying if we have not fought all the sins in our lives. <laughs> the only way to gain victory in some sins is actually to take a war against every sin. And we will not be aware of every sin if we don't examine ourselves, run to God for daily cleansing. Asking him to cleanse us, to forgive us, to pardon us. A fourth way I think we can become purer is to watch our consumption. And I really can't say this enough, especially in our age. Watch your consumption. Now, you know, football season has not started. Now it has started, so let me speak about football. It is not really a neutral thing. Entertainment is never neutral. There is a reason why our forefathers theologically forbade things like theater going. It's not because they were boring people. It does something to our hearts. Entertainment unchecked, whether it's football or basketball or skits or comedy or whatever, unchecked does something to our hearts. And one of the ways we see this is that we spend so much... It's crazy, really, but that men can actually spend two hours watching a football match, but can't spend 30 minutes in front of their Bibles. Just think about it. It's really amazing. I've thought about it. It is amazing. I went to Bab yesterday, and the guy walked in, and football on his mind. And, of course, you know how the season goes. There's a 12 p.m. match. There's a 4 p.m. match. On Sunday now, there's a match going on. Tomorrow, there'll be a match. And there are people, men... And so when the guy was speaking, he was not a riffraff. He has a daughter. He said, from the match, he's going to buy pampas. And from pampas, he's going home. There's the many one pampas at home. I said, ah, this is a family man, really. But this is what consumes some of us, our time, those of us who are even entertainment. We must watch our consumption. And we must practically seek 
to put the right things in place for our consumption. So there's a rule that productivity experts talk about, which is the two-second rule. And the idea behind this two-second rule is this, that if I want to do something frequently, I should keep that thing within two seconds of my movement. Like, it should not take me more than two seconds to get to that thing. Let me give us an example. If I want to learn the guitar and become more proficient in the guitar, I will not keep the guitar under my bed. Because imagine I wake up in the morning, I want to practice guitar, then I'll raise the bed and remove the guitar. If I want to really learn the guitar, I keep it by the side of the bed. So that when I wake up, it takes me two seconds to get to it. For some of us, our two seconds is actually our mobile phones. That's the easiest thing to get to. And our Bibles grow, grow cold. We must intentionally seek to see that our consumption is proper. Proper consumption. If we are not spending time in God's word, if we are not spending time in prayer, if we are not spending time engaging with other believers in profitable conversation, there's no way we'll get purity of heart. A fifth reason, we must avoid sin. We must avoid sin. There's no, there's no way to talk about this one. We must avoid sin. Sin brings impurity and stain in our hearts. Sin prevents us from seeing God, which is why God said, it's, it's not as if my hands are shortened or my ears dull, but it is your sin. It is your iniquity. We must avoid sin at all costs. We must avoid sin. The way some of us try to avoid COVID-19, we were extreme. Some of us. Some of us did not care, but some of us were extreme. Hand sanitizers, washing, different face masks, five cloth face masks, wear one on Monday, you wash it. We were very extreme because this is a virus. I don't want to catch it. That's the same way we should be vigilant against sin. And finally, we must fight with God's promises. We must fight with God's promises. And I started with the story of Kevin DeYoung because he really highlights a very strong principle in our sanctification. We must fight with God's promises. One of the things the devil will do to us is to tell us that, forget it, you, what is there about seeing God? What is there about seeing God? After all, you can sin, repent, move on with your life. There's nothing, I mean, everybody does it. But the man who looks upon God's word and sees that, there's a sight of God that I will have if I pursue purity. Ah, that man will win the war for purity. That man will win the war. Regardless of whatever it is. When he says, God has promised this. And I, I believe God's word. In fact, every sin the devil makes us fall into, it starts from us doubting what God has said. The promises of God. There are pleasures in God. There's no pleasure in, on this earth that compares with the pleasure of seeing God on a daily basis and eternally, finally, directly. There's no pleasure. There's no sin. There's, there's no entertainment. There's no, nothing. Everything we think we enjoy are nothing compared to the pleasure of seeing God in Christ. Here and in the hereafter. And may God grant us this purity and this reward of seeing him. Let us pray. Oh God, we ask that you take these words we have heard. 
that you apply it deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name.